0: Hey, everybody. This is Heidi St. John. Welcome to Off the Bench. Today is Mailbox Monday. You guys know what that means. I'm going to answer your questions. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. All right, you guys. So thank you for sending questions in to me here at the show. You know that I love to get your questions, love to be able to answer them and just to talk with you guys about what's important and what you're dealing with and the kinds of things that are on your heart. If you have a question you'd like to submit, you can go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. As always, remember the golden rule of submitting a question here at the show. Keep them short, sweet, and to the point. All right, I'm excited to jump into these uh, there I'm going to kind of rapid fire them today. We'll see how many we can get through in the next few minutes. But the first one comes from Michelle in New Jersey. And she said, Heidi, I was wondering if you comply with masking in doctor's offices. I refuse to wear a mask, but now they're saying I have to in common areas for the sake of newborns, which is totally insane. Uh, we know this is insane, but honestly, there's only a few places that I would say, you know what, whatever, wear the mask. And it's probably the doctor's office is one of them. So, I found a chiropractor that's not crazy, and uh, she doesn't make people wear masks, and so I've been going there for a long time. But we had an injury. One of our kids had an injury recently, and I ended up at the at the hospital. And you know that the first thing they do is say, "Hey, will you put a mask on? Everyone there is afraid of dying." I thought this was interesting that um, and in fact, one of these days, soon, I'm going to have somebody on the show to talk about it, but I saw just a couple of days ago brand new data out ta- uh, discussing the efficacy of the shot and the number of hospitalizations with the uh, people who've gotten the shot versus not. And by and large, the people who have been hospitalized with this are people who have already had this so-called vaccine. So we're going to be talking about this for a very long time in the culture, but I would say, you know what, if you're going to go into a medical establishment, I would just assume that they're going to make you wear a mask. And you know what, when you got to see a doctor, you got to see a doctor. So do I like it? No. Um, But you know, that's the one place that I would say there are legit sick people there. And again, we've talked about this a lot. You know, why do we use masks in the first place? We're overusing them. We're using them for everything. It's really, it's it's silly and ridiculous, but it kind of is what it is right now. This mass psychosis that we have injected into the culture. Mindy in Kentucky wants tips on parenting preschoolers and kindergarten. She said, Heidi, do you have any practical tips for parenting preschoolers With grace and truth, yes. And you know what? I loved having little kids in my home. It's one of the things I really miss. The years that we were just stupid busy and had so many kids in the house, the the big kids, the little kids, all the kids in between. I love being a mom and raising kids. But one of the very best books I have ever read, and I'm gonna have her back on to talk about this again sometime, is my friend Ginger Hubbard. She wrote a book called Don't Make Me Count to Three. And it's wonderful because it squares up the importance of discipline, which is it's really important, right? So we live in a culture right now that says, you know, hey, uh, you know, uh, you can have a new kid by Friday, which is a total lie, by the way. Or uh, you tell your kid anything that they want to hear, or whatever the new uh, the new topic of gender ideology is. And so we're not really disciplining children and caring for them in that way. Our kids come to us; their minds are like wet cement, right? And we have an opportunity to teach them right from wrong, to teach them how to behave, to teach them how to treat other people. Why? Do we regard other people as precious? This is one of the very first things that I felt led to teach my toddlers was that other people are precious. And so when you have a toddler in your home, you guys know the rules of the toddler rules, right? Um, If I have it, if I had it first, it's mine. If you had it first, it's mine. If my mom took it from me and gave it to my sister, it's still mine. If I gave it to you, it's still mine. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine, right? These are the rules of toddlers. And so moms and dads come in And we help those little ones rewrite the rules according to what God says is true. And that is that other people are precious. When I was little, my Sunday school teacher taught me a song called Joy. Some of you guys will remember it, right? Jesus and others and you, that's how you spell joy. And the song went something like, Jesus and others and you, Uh, what a wonderful way to spell joy. Jesus and others and you in the heart of each girl and each boy, J is for Jesus, for he takes first place. O is for others we meet face to face. Why is for you and whatever you do, put others first and spell joy. And that was something that resonated in my heart as a child. And I think in the world today, we have certainly lost the idea that other people are precious. And so, you know, when we're teaching our children to interact, we want to teach them about the preciousness of other people. God sees people as precious, right? That's, that's the basic uh, message of the gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so these are the things that that I think are the most important that we teach our children. And then discipline, you guys, uh, Dr. Dobson wrote a wonderful book called The Strong-Willed Child. I mean, this was probably written in the maybe the 80s or the late 70s. It's a book that I absolutely loved having had at least one and two, if I'm honest, very, very strong-willed children. And uh, so that's a great book, The Strong-Willed Child. Dr. Dobson also has a book called Bringing Up Girls and another one called Bringing Up Boys that really highlights the differences between. The genders. And there there are very real differences, no matter what the woke culture tries to tell you, there are very, very distinct differences between girls and boys. And so I love that Dr. Dobson just tackled that head on and was like, hey, let me help you. So great stuff from Dr. Dobson. And again, my friend Ginger Hubbard, don't maybe count to three. And if you want a parenting podcast that particularly points you in the right direction when it comes to training up young children, Uh, Ginger Hubbard's podcast is a great one for that as well. So that's a great one. Here's a really interesting question from Jen in Iowa. She said, Heidi, I was hoping for a breakdown in differences between denominations. This is an interesting question. I don't get it very often. And so what I'm going to do is take you guys to uh, gotquestions.org. By the way, this has sort of been my go-to for, for many years for questions that I'm like, oh, I, I would love to see someone really succinctly talk about that particular question. But gotquestions.org really is an encyclopedia of answers for Christians who are looking for uh, theological, we've got theological questions. You might have denominational questions. Sometimes the questions are uh, lighthearted and then sometimes they're not. But I really appreciate the ministry of gotquestions.org and I'm gonna link to it. In the show notes. And this is what they said to answer the question, you've got to first differentiate between denominations within the body of Christ and non Christian cults and other religions. So, Presbyterians and Lutherans, uh, examples of Christian denominations, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are examples of cults, which are groups claim to be Christian, but deny one or more of the essentials of the Christian faith. Islam and Buddhism are entirely separate religions. Uh, The rise of denominations within the Christian faith can be traced back to the Protestant Reformation, the movement to, quote, reform the Roman Catholic Church during the 16th century, out of which the four major divisions of traditions of Protestantism would emerge, Lutheran, Reformed, Anabaptist, and Anglican. From these four, other denominations grew over the centuries. The Lutheran denomination, obviously named for Martin Luther and was based on his teaching, The Methodists got their name because their founder, John Wesley, was famous for coming up with, quote, methods for spiritual growth. Baptists got their name because they've always emphasized the importance of believers' baptism. The Presbyterians are named for their view on church leadership, uh, taken from the Greek word for elder. Anyway, so interesting. This is such a great article. Each denomination has a slightly different doctrine or emphasis from the others, such as the method of baptism, the availability of the Lord's Supper to all, or just to those whose testimonies can be verified by church leaders, the sovereignty of God versus free will in the matter of salvation, the future of Israel and the church, pre-trib versus uh, post-trib, rapture, the existence of the signs of gifts and wonders in the modern era, and so on and so on. The point of these divisions is never Christ as Lord and Savior. This is the most important part uh, within Christian denominations. The point of these divisions is never Christ as Lord and Savior, but rather honest differences of opinion by godly, albeit flawed people seeking to honor God and retain doctrinal purity according to their conscience and their understanding of the word. This obviously has downsides to it. There seem to be at least two problems. This is again on Got questions. Uh, With denominationalism, first, nowhere in scripture is there a mandate for it. To the contrary, the mandate is for union and connectivity. Thus, the second problem is that history tells us that denominationalism is the result of or caused by conflict and confrontation, which leads to division and separation. And so this is why I was saying the other day on my show that there are certain denominations within Christianity that I disagree with. I disagree with baptism, for example, for the remission of sin. There are other uh, there are other doctrinal differences, but I don't think these are things that should divide us. Different churches will look at things differently. Some of the problems that we face today, as we look at denominationalism in its more recent history, is uh, they're based on disagreements over inter- over the interpretation of scripture. Again, going back to baptism, an example would be the meaning and purpose of it. Is baptism a requirement for salvation, or is it symbolic of the salvation process? There are denominations on both sides of this issue, of this issue. In fact, baptism, its meaning, its mode, and who can receive it, have been a central issue in the separation of churches and forming new denominations. Uh, we're going to take uh, take a quick break, and we'll be right back. If you guys are homeschooling in the fall and you are looking for a program for language arts, I wanna recommend to you the Institute for Excellence in Writing. And recently I've been hearing from you asking, what do I buy? IEW has a lot of things that they're offering. So I want you guys to start with something I have loved and used with my kids. It's called Structure and Style for Students. Check it out and try three weeks for free at IEW.com forward slash Heidi. So I'm gonna finish up with the denomination question and then hop over to another question. So what's a believer to do? Should we ignore denominations? Should we just not go to church and worship on our own at home? A lot of people doing that these days. The answer to both questions is no. What we should be seeking is a body of believers where the gospel of Christ is preached and where you as an individual can have a personal relationship with the Lord, where you can join in biblical ministries that are spreading the gospel and glorifying God. Church is important, and all believers need to belong to a body that fits the criteria that I just talked about. We need relationships that can only be found in the body of believers, and we need the support that only the church can offer. God is the one who designed the church. It's so important. There is diversity and not disunity. The first allows us to be individuals in Christ, and the latter divides And destroys. And that honestly is where the enemy has had a heyday. You guys have seen it. I know in your own communities, I've certainly seen it in mine. We want to be students of the word. We want to be Bereans to study God's word uh, as the apostle Paul rightly pointed out so that uh, we could rightly divide it so that when there are questions that come up, we can have these conversations. And if we disagree, we can disagree lovingly and therefore maintain unity in the body of Christ. So That was a great question. Thank you so much for sending it in, Jen. I appreciate it. One more. This is a biggie. Uh, Lori in Montana. Can you discuss what it means to be a false teacher? I've run across several podcasts lately that claim Pastor Jack Hibbs is a false teacher, but when I dig deeper, it appears these accusers just don't agree with how political he is. Well, (laughs) if there's one thing Jack Hibbs is not, it's a false teacher. It's amazing to me how quickly Uh, Christians are right now. Very pharisaical, in my opinion, to just look at a, a pastor with whom they disagree and just immediately label him a false teacher. And so you're right to point out that he's really being attacked, not for what he preaches on Sunday, but because he is political in his stance as a pastor, which I frankly believe is part of being salt and light. I'm more frustrated with the pastors who don't take political stance, who won't talk about what's happening in the culture and how important it is for Christians to engage than I would ever be in someone who is as bold as Pastor Jack Hibbs and as my friend, uh, Pastor Rob McCoy and several other people that I, I, uh, I hold in so much high regard. And so I love that you pointed that out. Uh, She went on to say, last time I checked how we view politics and even eschatology isn't grounds for being labeled as a false teacher, but perhaps I'm wrong. So let's talk about that for just a minute. By the way, I wrote a study that took us a month to get through. It was called Five Traits of a False Teacher. And it's really important that we understand false teachers so that we can recognize them. Jesus talked about this in his word. Uh, he said that there would there were false teachers who would come and try to uh, deceive even the elect. Second Timothy said that we're supposed to be studying God's word. Matthew chapter 24, verses 23 to 27 says, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray. If possible, even the elect, see, I have told you this Beforehand. In 2 Peter 3, verse 3, it says, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days, with scoffing, which is which is right, mockers and these are people who don't want to be told the truth. And it says that they will follow their own sinful desires. Jude 17 and 18 says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last days, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. So what's the best way? to guard yourself against false teachers. It's to know and study the word of God. This has been the passion of my life for a long time. It's certainly the direction that we take at MomStrong International every single month. We've got to be able to rightly handle God's word. That is 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who can rightly divide the word of God. So any believer who can rightly handle or correctly handle uh, the word of God and who makes a careful, study of the word of God can identify false teaching and a false doctrine when they read it. For example, a believer who has read the activities of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in Matthew chapter three, verses 16 to 17. So let me read it to you really quickly. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So if you've studied that passage and you understand the doctrine of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're gonna question any doctrine that denies the Trinity. And so the first step in, uh, in not being uh, taken captive by a false teacher is simply to know the word. Jesus said in Matthew 12, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known By its fruit. So how can you determine a false teacher? Well, you look to see what kind of fruit they have in their lives. And there are three specific uh, tests. And again, you can find this at gotquestions.org. And then also I've written on this extensively, and I'll link back to that in the show notes today, to apply to any teacher to determine the accuracy of his or her teaching. So here's the first one. What does the teacher say about Jesus? Matthew 16, verses 15 and 16, uh, Jesus said, Uh, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, And for this answer, Jesus calls Peter blessed. And in 2 John 9, it says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the father and the son. So here we're reading anybody who runs ahead and doesn't continue in the teaching of Christ doesn't have him. And whoever continues on in his teaching has both the father and the son. So in other words, Jesus and the work of his redemption is the most important thing that we can understand as we learn to study the scriptures. So here's a second one. Does the teacher preach the gospel? So the first question about your teacher, what does he say about Jesus? I'm thinking, I can't help it, specifically of Jack Hibbs. It just, it kills me that that we wanna label awesome men and and women of God who are following God as false teachers. So what did they say about Jesus? Is it in uh, accordance with the word of God? Secondly, does this teacher preach the gospel? What is the gospel? So the gospel is defined as the good news that concerns Jesus, his, his death, his burial and his resurrection according to the scriptures. That's 1 Corinthians 15, one, uh, one, verses one to four. And we wanna be teaching, that is the good news, right? That Jesus came, that, that God sent his son, that he died for our sins, that he was buried and he was resurrected on the third day according to the scripture. So we don't have to fear death those of us who have accepted Jesus as our lord and savior we know that when we die our soul according to the bible is going to be with the lord in heaven and it means we don't need to be afraid of death so as nice as they sound the statements were you know god loves you uh, god wants you to be wealthy this is not the gospel right uh, it's not so you know god these are good statements right god loves you yes but the but the full statement is we are sinners in need of salvation And we are saved by grace alone, not by works, lest any of us should boast. It is the gift of God. That's what salvation is. So, Paul warned us in Galatians 1, verse 7 not that there is any other one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. So, evidently, he was saying, uh, people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. No one, not even a great preacher, has the right to change the message that God gave us. So, if anyone is preaching, A gospel, other than what you accepted according to Paul, the Bible says, let him be eternally condemned. That's uh, Galatians 1 verse 9. The Bible is very serious. God takes it serious that we don't distort the gospel message, which is a very simple message that we are sinners saved by grace, that Jesus loves us. He loved us so much that he was willing to die to pay the sacrifice for our sin. This is the message of the gospel. Three, does the teacher exhibit the character qualities that glorify the Lord? Speaking of false teachers, Jude chapter 11 says, they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. Dis- they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. In other words, a false teacher can be known by his pride. This was Cain's rejection of God's plan. Greed, which was Balaam. Uh, remember we talked about this in another podcast, who prophesied to get money. Boy, if we don't see that all over, especially television, that's my one of my big beefs with a lot of these televangelists. You know, they're doing it for money. So frustrating and rebellion. This is Korah's promotion of himself over Moses. Jesus said to be aware of such people and that we would know them by their fruits. For further study, review the books of the Bible that were written specifically to combat false teachers within the church. Those books would be Galatians, Second Peter, First John, Second John, and Jude. Uh, it is often difficult, this is got questions.org, to spot a false teacher or prophet. Satan masquerades. As an angel of light, we know this from 2 Corinthians 11:14, and his ministers masquerade as servants of righteousness. Only by being thoroughly familiar with the Bible and with the truth are we able to recognize a counterfeit. Uh, that is exactly why I start I started my ministry to mothers called Mom Strong International. You guys, we study the word every single month. There are a brand new Bible study releases on the first Monday of every month. And we have uh, a wonderful community of women who are learning the word and they are learning how to teach their children how to spot a counterfeit. Also, you can't spot a counterfeit unless you know the truth. That's all that I have time for today. I appreciate you guys writing in. If you have a question that you'd like me to address here at the show, just shoot it to me, idstjohn.com forward slash Mailbox Monday. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We love you guys, love your families well, and I will see you here again at the intersection of faith and hope.